Hey Trekkies, and welcome to Trek Freaks, part of the Geek Freaks Network. On this podcast, we analyze and review every episode of Star Trek, starting with the original series. I'm Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by Jonathan. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. How about yourself? Good, good. Thank you, playing. Yeah, what episode are we talking about today? Oh, today we are beginning season two yeah. of the original series. Season two, episode one, Amok Time. How would you say that? Amok? Amok? <laughs> I, I, I always say Amok. Yeah, but I don't okay. think that's what it's supposed to be. I'm not sure. Yeah. A muck of time. So by the title, I'm thinking like, you know, when you make a muck of something, you're making like a mess out of it. So I'm like, oh, okay. So this is like a time travel thing where they mess up the timeline. <laughs> nothing like that at all. No, nope, no, nope, <laughs> nothing like that. So yeah, that's why I'm like, maybe that's not the word I think it is, but that's okay. This, we'll I think this almost would have been a better operation annihilate than the last episode. <laughs> right. Oh, man. All right. Well, before we get started, I have got a question for you. Ooh, go for it. This one is from this one wasn't asked directly to us. Frank mm-hmm. pointed it out to me on Twitter. It was asked by Jay Stoby, who's a part of the, the Roddenberry Foundation. He's a writer of Star Trek and Star Wars and other things um, not asked to us, but I figured we should answer it anyway, because it's a good question. He says, if you were given command of a starship, which Star Trek character would you want as your first officer? And I am going to add in the little uh the the original series uh part of that qualifier okay qualifier yeah that's a good word (laughs) which original series cast member would you want as your first officer ah that changes things actually i I was thinking honestly uh because i'm a big voyager fan i would have gone not chakotay though he's cool i would have gone with uh tuvok because he's so logical and stuff in the original series really spock is a great you know uh, second in command best first officer in the fleet yeah but I don't know if I was to not choose him, I would probably choose Bones, really, just because he's, though he's not the greatest doctor, he has a lot of insight and he's usually the one who's more so uh, compassionate about like uh, protecting life and, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I like Bones. Having somebody with that medical perspective as your second in command, very good uh, for especially early Star Trek when Mm -hmm. you're. First starting to get out to the fringes of space. That's a good that's a good call. Yeah. What about you? I would pick Scotty mm-hmm. only because in the episode where he was left in command of the bridge, he did a really good job uh, dealing with Ambassador Fox, I think was his name. That's right. And he found out that uh, the the planet that was trying to lure them all down for shore leave was act- he figured out that it was a, a ruse. Mm-hmm. So he's very smart. He knows how to fix the ship. He knows how to give orders for other people to fix the ship quickly. He knows the ins and outs of every starship, I would imagine. And he's just overall a very smart, very quick-witted guy. Yeah, I that's think a he's good point. And the very fact trustworthy. that he, the way he was dealing with uh, Admiral Fox or whatever, without uh, you know letting him walk all over him because of his you know higher authority and stuff like that, he gave him the firm pushback of "No, we're not going to do what you want to do because that's you know dangerous." And I'm in in the command chair right now. I like that. That's pretty smart. Yeah, he's I I think he'd be an amazing first officer. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get down to this warp speed recap. The Enterprise is on a diplomatic mission en route to Altair 6. Kirk, being the ever busy captain that he is, nearly dismisses McCoy, telling him that something is up with Spock. He's agitated, secluded, and throwing bowls of homemade soup out of his quarters. What is going on with them? Kirk gets Spock to confide in him, 
It's a very personal matter that affects all Vulcans. Spock must return home and take a wife. It is what the Vulcans call Ponfar. Disobeying Starfleet orders, the Enterprise sets course for Vulcan. When there, Spock bangs on a gong, and out comes the woman uh, with whom he is to be wed. T'Pring, his intended wife, chooses another option. She wants to be with another man, so she chooses Kirk to act as her champion to fight Spock. Kirk accepts, believing this will help his friend. Little did he know, this was a fight to the death. Kirk and Spock go back and forth before McCoy interferes and injects Kirk with something that is supposed to help him breathe on, in the harsh Vulcan climate. Kirk is choked out by Spock and seemingly killed. Winning the challenge, Spock is able to choose what he wants to do. He leaves Vulcan without T'Pring, uh, leaving her to be with the man she chose. Spock intends to surrender himself to the authorities for killing Kirk. But on the ship, Kirk is alive and well. Spock didn't kill his friend. McCoy helped save the day, and the Enterprise is off to Altair 6 to complete their mission. Nice. Yeah, I like this story. I mean, the the the, the potion is like a Romeo and Juliet uh, thing where it puts uh, Kirk out for a little while, then he comes back. Yeah. Uh, I think in Voyager, Blood Fever was a similar thing where where uh, what's his name, Vorik gets Ponfar and he wants to take Balana, and then they have to do a fight. So in that, they explain that 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 powerful passion that's in your blood that you have to satisfy that would usually be in, you know, mating and creating a bunch of babies, uh, can also be satisfied in a, a battle, like a passionate battle, as long as it, you know, is a certain, certain exertion or whatever. And I don't think the Vulcans knew that uh, up until this happened with Spock, which is pretty cool that it's, it's Vulcan war now. <laughs> yeah. So um, one thing I like about this episode we don't see I don't at least I didn't see in um, the other newer Star Treks is this level of like intimate background of the processes and how Vulcan works and this like rituals and stuff they go through. I mean obviously I mostly watch Voyager and that's far away from Vulcan but uh you know I never seen anything like this this looks very it doesn't look as sophisticated as they are. This seems more tribal but it's kind of cool to see how they do things yeah uh vulcan isn't really seen a lot in even in other star trek series going forward like they go there from time to time but it's always this one temple or this one building or this capital city or this ruin it's never like a wide variety or for an extended period of time it's just here and there so we don't get to see all that much of it and this first hint of it was it's pretty cool being able to see where spot came from and he said that that was his uh his family's place like that. They've owned that place for like, didn't they say 2000 years or something like that? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that so was pretty cool. That makes you think too. Like that's, that's like their, their family lineage uses that chapel or whatever. So each family, each like family house has a different location where they do these and different people that are interacting their rituals and stuff. So as like, there's gotta be places like this all over the, all over the planet. Right. You'd and think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so that lady only works like one one or two days out of the year or something, or you know, <laughs> once every seven years per person in the family. That's uh interesting. Yeah. It's there's a lot of rituals there that I want to be able to learn more about, especially after watching this episode, because it was a good episode and it was it was very well written and a yeah. very good season premiere. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 
Well, as the episode started, uh, we're in an, the corridor in one of the corridors on the Enterprise and McCoy is talking to Kirk, uh, telling him that something's wrong with Spock. He's becoming nervous. He isn't eating. Um, and then we see Chapel. Oh, sweet Christine Chapel. <laughs> ever after. Always after Spock. Uh, bringing him some Vulcan soup. Uh, Spock's been refusing to get his physical. Uh, and here we see Spock lash out. We've never really seen this before, this side yeah. of, 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 of Spock, because he's a Vulcan. He's in control of his emotions, and he throws the bowl of soup and yells at Christine. <laughs> yeah, not only have we not seen, I mean, we've seen Spock show very small emotion occasionally, but he's trying to hold it back. But we've never seen him like at a far you know, extreme range of any emotions. Right. Like this. So it was like, oh, you know, obviously something is way wrong with Spock right now. He's been possessed by other creatures and still been able to control his emotions before. I'm going to so. liken it to uh, to seeing your dad cry for the first time. It's like it's <laughs> not something you ever see as a kid. But that first time you don't forget that because it's something that you never expected to see because your dad is like supposed to be, you know, the, the guy in control, at least with people our age, their dad's always our dad's always tried to be like the guy in control of everything and seeing <laughs> that like not be the case for the first time sticks with you. And that's kind of what I thought about when I saw Spock lose his mind here. Right. Uh, Spock requests a leave of absence to go to Vulcan and he's very, very irritated. Uh, you can tell. And he ends up while he's talking with Kirk. Um, he tries to explain what happened with chapel. Kirk doesn't really care. He, which is strange. He's, just kind of throwing that off to the side, but he wants to help his friend. So I get that. Um, but Spock is insistent that he must go to Vulcan and that no other place will do for shore leave. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs rest and, and he says that he needs Kirk to accept that. So Kirk yeah. orders the enterprise course be uh, altered toward Vulcan. And you can see like he's uh, Spock is trying to like hold it together because he's like, I just got to do this whole logistical part. Like I got to, talk to the captain, get it approved. Then I can go hide in my quarters until we get there and, you know, satisfy this rage or, you know, whatever that's inside me. But it's like taking a lot for him to just calm down. I feel like it's like road rage and you're just like, I, I got to get through these cars. I'm going to get out and start like smashing in windows, but I'm stuck in the car. I'm stuck in traffic. I have to just be patient. Yeah. So he's really like fighting to just be patient and like deal with this process. We see it getting to him, too, because um, I don't know what he's holding, if it's a knife or it was the spoon with the soup or so he's holding something as Kirk walks away and his hand is shaking so much and he's having a very hard time controlling it. Yeah. So being uh, seeing that struggle, it's, it's funny that we were watching this like right after seeing him get infected by a, an alien parasite and him mm-hmm. struggling to like <laughs> retain his own essence, essentially, and now he's going through this. It's just poor Spock can't get a break. Yeah, he's got a bad couple of weeks going on. <laughs> um, there's an urgent message uh, from Starfleet. Enterprise is to re-alter course toward Altair 6. They cannot go to Vulcan anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're on their way back to Altair 6. or They're back on their way toward Altair 6. <laughs> Kirk is restless. He's in bed thinking about this. He's got to help his friend. So he calls Chekhov, who's on the bridge. And he's he's talking to Chekhov about re-altering course toward Vulcan. Mm. And it turns out that Spock has already made that made order. That order. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Like, yeah, didn't didn't you tell him to or something like that? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. I guess we're going that way. 
I actually really like this uh, interaction between Kirk and Spock next in the it is in a, in a turbo lift, I believe, when mm-hmm. Kirk figures out that Spock ordered Chekhov to already go back toward Vulcan. Um, Spock says he can't remember doing it, but he's going to take Kirk's word for it that mm-hmm. he made the order. He made the call, but he doesn't remember doing it. He's just out of his mind. Yeah. And it reminds me too, uh, the fact that he's losing his memory in this very physically and mentally stressful time for him that, uh, in Voyager, when I've seen this before, other, other Ponfar episodes, uh, that it can literally, if it's not satisfied, this, this, uh, Ponfar can rip their brain apart because it'll lobotomize them because it is such a contrast between the emotional and the logical. And it could be potentially lethal for Vulcans. Um, Kirk then orders he orders Spock to uh, go to sick bay, and he does say for a complete examination. Even though when Spock gets to sick bay, he tells McCoy, "Well, I'm here. I was ordered to come here. I'm leaving now." <laughs> uh, McCoy calls him out on his BS, saying, "Oh, you have to answer to the same CEO that I do, the same commanding officer that I do." So, you know, damn well, you're going to get this physical exam. Uh, I just thought that was funny. I'm here. I was ordered to be here. Yeah. I'm out. Base Later. power. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Though I, I, we've seen before, and I, I hate to always talk bad about McCoy because he's awesome, but he doesn't know uh, Vulcan physiology very, right. very well, at least. So, you know, checking him out in the past, he relies on Spock's input on like, you know, whether his blood pressure is normal or whatever. So I, I don't think it's going to do a whole lot of good. Yeah, I, th- and that is a lot on Spock, obviously, but McCoy wants to help. I mean, yeah. not, not just being the the physician, but he's also Spock's friend. Yeah, <laughs> I want to say friend. True. <laughs> and he actually outlogics Spock here mm-hmm. um, to get him to submit to the exam. I forget exactly w- what the words were going back and forth there, but he, he wants him to yield to the logic is what he says to Spock. Yeah. And that's such good a good way to put it to Spock. I mean, normally, yeah, Spock's super logical, but he can see right now Spock isn't acting in logic. He's being emotional, and he can't control it. It's, you know, not something he would choose to do. Uh, so to encourage him, like, hey, not, not saying stay here, sit down, do what you're told, saying yield to the logic, like embrace the logical side of this scenario and understand that what I'm doing is to help you. Uh, so, you know, basically tame your emotions for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's... That's exactly it. Thank you for <laughs> filling in that gap for me. Um, uh, McCoy basically figures out that there's some heightening of a lot of stuff in his brain right now. And that if he doesn't get to Vulcan, he doesn't know exactly why. But if he doesn't get to Vulcan within a week or so, that Spock will die. Yeah, it's like an extreme chemical imbalance in his brain or something, right? Yeah, there's a buildup of something in Spock's body that will lead to death. It's a, a chemical imbalance in the brain that's basically forcing him to not be able to suppress his his emotions because of what he's going through we still don't know what it is at this point and spock is not very helpful he's still not opening up about it um <laughs> we see spock in his quarters after here looking at a picture of a young vulcan girl um i know what this <laughs> is but it does not look good right. <laughs> it, it seems very strange yeah so should we explain what that is? Or yeah. Wait until we get... Yeah. So he, as a child, I, you know, probably 10 years old or something like that, they, the kids are promised to each other by the parents. They make a, a deal like, hey, your kid's cute. My kid's cute. When they get, you know, 30 or whatever, 
they should make a bunch of babies. And so they, the kids know at that time, like, hey, she's going to be my future mate, you know, someday when I need to. And so, yeah, now he has a picture of like a 10 year old girl or whatever that he's looking at. Oh, yeah, that's my wife. I got to go find her. Like, <laughs> she's my betrothed. She's to be my wife. Yeah. And yeah, so he's going back to Vulcan to find, yeah, this, this girl that he was promised to. But he's a grown man looking at a picture of a probably 10 year old girl. Doesn't seem right, you know, to us at the time. Very yeah. awkward. Yeah, it was it was a little awkward. They probably could have done something a little bit different, but at least they got the point across. And we know Spock, I guess. So it's not as bad. No, no, no. We don't know anything about his cultural history. That's very true. <laughs> and this episode points that out a lot. We don't know anything about their anything like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Kirk finally guilt Spock into starting to open up to start opening up about what's actually going on with them. Spock says it's, it's a very personal thing and it happens to each Vulcan. Uh, they don't even speak about it amongst each other. The Vulcans mm -hmm. it's, it's that personal of a thing. And to me, it seems like it's more of like a, a pride thing than anything. Vulcans pride themselves on logic and being able to suppress their emotions. So they don't even talk about what is going on here between themselves because it would be kind of a somebody could make fun of them or think less of them based on their fact uh, on the fact that they can't control their emotions even though it's a biological thing that's yeah happening. it's not like you made a bad choice it's not like you're a you know big accountant running multi-million dollar corporation for like amazon or something like that and then by the way i'm so bad with my personal finances i'm going through bankruptcy right now Right. And I don't want to talk to people about it because I'm embarrassed and it affects my day to day job. No, you didn't make a bad choice. Like this is literally like going through puberty and being embarrassed to talk about it, you know, to other kids or, you know, even adults. So, yeah. Uh, so Spock starts slowly opening up to Kirk. Um, and to me, it reminded me of an awkward parent trying to explain the birds and the bees to a child saying <laughs> it's about biology. And then after and I wrote it. that, I wrote that in my notes uh -huh. that. It sounded like it was uh, the birds and the bees. And then Kirk actually says, well, the birds and the bees do the same thing. I'm like, <laughs> OK, I picked up exactly what I mean, obviously is obvious what they were talking about. But I didn't think I was going to write it word for word. Yeah. Uh, Spock explains that during this time a Vulcan's logic is ripped from them. It sounds brutal. Mm -hmm. Like he's just does not have control. It takes everything he has to not just lash out. Now, I wonder, since this is such a, like, almost traumatizing experience for them to, to flip completely, but as far as I understand, it happens once every seven years, you would think at, like, six and a half years, every Vulcan would just have a retreat where I'm going to go back to my home planet for maybe plan, like, a three-month window of when this should happen, logically, and after that's done, you go back and continue your work, but you really prepare since this is such a, you know, big deal. See, yeah, I always thought the same thing. Um, the one, the one exception to that would be Voyager. Whenever there's an episode about the Ponfar, uh, Voyager is always the exception to that. But to Paul on Enterprise, uh, mm -hmm. Spock on the original series, they they both go through this the same thing, knowing that it's going to happen to them at some point. Yeah. Um, I th I guess to Paul's was a little different. I think that was early onset for her, but with. Spock it like he should have known this was going to happen but at the same time he says that they don't talk about this between even amongst other Vulcans so they 
just kind of ignore it is my guess they ignore it until they can't anymore yeah and this is when we uh hear that it's called pon far the time of mating and i actually misspelled pon far in my notes the first time and google sheets <laughs> knew exactly what i was trying to spell so thumbs up for google right there <laughs> <laughs> uh, spock must return home and take a wife or die and he seems really ashamed that that's the way it is even though we know that that's just bi- biology that he has no reason to be ashamed but mm-hmm. like the be- the lack of being able to suppress emotion is a shameful thing for vulcans now i got a question do you think if they were to take a mate that is not from planet vulcan like if they didn't go home to do this and just they already had someone they're interested in or whatever do you think it would have the same result would that cure the ponfar i think so um the Enterprise prequel series kind of delves into that a bit. Uh, okay. Because um, on Voyager 2, a hologram was able to suffice with some meditation and stuff like that. Right. But it's, it's you know, would it... I, I think it's just because there's so much uh, tradition in their culture that they feel like they have to go that specific route. But I think, yeah, I think it's just a time of mating. So, you know, do some mating and you'll be good for another seven years. Right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't even know all the, <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because it's always awkward to do an episode that's based on this, especially now because it, with the prequel enterprise, they were trying to sexy up the show for the lack of a better phrase. They were trying mm-hmm. to make that show more appealing to uh, a young male audience. So they wanted to have that kind of stuff, but going forward, thankfully they don't care as much about that. They care more about having like a, a deep story so I doubt that we're going to get very much into Ponfar uh, going forward. But what little we do have within Star Trek doesn't really explain the ins and outs of all of it. So, And I wonder at what age do Vulcans stop having Ponfar? Like, will we see an old Spock in his, you know, I don't know, hundreds of years. So like 160 year old Spock or something like that, who still is driven by these mating rituals. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess we'll probably never find out, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting <laughs> point. I never thought of that. Yeah. Uh, Spock being, uh, be, having a hard time controlling his, his emotions right now. He's getting a message from Uhura on the bridge and just beats the shit out of the view screen on his, uh, on his lo- desk there. I love that though. They did a good job with that, that practical effect, you know, prop. It oh, yeah. does, it does look like, you know, a hollow canister of metal that he just kind of caved in. That was pretty cool. Um, once again, Kirk is ordered to proceed to Altair, not to Vulcan. There will be two other ships there. Um, though, so Kirk doesn't feel that the Enterprise is really needed there. It'd be helpful to have him there for this diplomatic mission, but it's not vital to have Enterprise there. So he once again orders the course be plotted for Vulcan. A lot of back and forth. I don't think all the back and forth, Altair, Vulcan, Altair, Vulcan. Uh, Chekhov <laughs> and Sulu even talk about this on the bridge. Like, yeah, they, when they get re- to redirect what the again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, there's even at one point, uh, Sulu's like, you may as well just plot a course for Vulcan again, just in case. <laughs> Chekhov is like, okay, that's a good yeah. point. So it shows the struggle that, you know, Kirk doesn't understand what's going on with, with uh, Spock, but he knows that it's important to him. And he's like, well, anything I could do to, to go that way. But, you know, oh, yeah, my commanding officer saying, no, we have to be here. They really need us here. Right. He's like, but they don't really need us. This is kind of so he's like, 
debating with himself of whether he should just defy orders and help his friend or, you know, carry out the mission and then help his friend later. Yeah. And this was a direct order from an admiral. Yeah. To go to Altair. But Kirk knows better. Um, Chapel checks in on Spock. And this was kind of a weird scene, I thought. Mm -hmm. Chapel, God, that... That poor character, man, like <laughs> she just cares for this guy that is normally in control of himself. And she's not she's trying to uh, empathize with him, I suppose, mm-hmm. but doesn't know what's going on because he won't open up to anybody. And she's checking up on. Sorry, go for it. I'm, I was to say, I'm pretty sure based on biology, she can help him with his problem. I mean, you would think doesn't have to go home. He can solve his problems right there. With his uh, very much interested nurse chapel. But, you, you know, Vulcans, they're very <laughs> caught up in pomp and circumstance of their own uh, rituals and ceremonies and stuff. So he's already got T'Pring waiting for him. Yeah. And he's Who too much of a doesn't perfect- even like him. T'Pring wants this other guy. So, <laughs> right, come on, Spot. You could have saved a whole trip. <laughs> they're both too, too Vulcan for their own good. They'll mm-hmm. do what they're supposed to do within the rules of Vulcan society before, you know, just taking care of stuff on their own <laughs> with the help of somebody nearby, you know, which it should be pointed out. Following tradition is very often illogical. Yeah, that's probably something that uh, might be. I didn't think about that. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> when I was doing the moral of the story, that's uh, mm-hmm. I'm Gotta sure you'll be bringing that up later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. It looks like Spock is attempting to seduce Chapel here, but at the same time is trying to keep her at arm's length. Like he's not trying to give into that that raw emotion, but trying to look out for Chapel, I think, is what's going on. Yeah. And then he asks her for that Vulcan soup again. Or not again, but for the first time. And that's when we see Nurse Chapel light up. And she's like <laughs> I'll I'll get that for you. And she, yeah, she, her delighted, old delighted days, yeah. yeah. Uh, Spock asks Kirk and Bones to join Spock for the ceremony when they get to Vulcan. Um, did I skip something? I guess I probably just sucked at taking notes during that. Between those, <laughs> here's no, soup. Think, We're on Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you got it right. I don't I don't think we saw her like come back with the soup or anything like that. Okay. <laughs> um. So, yeah, when they, on, on their way to the transporter room, I think, is when Spock asks both Kirk and, surprisingly, Bones mm-hmm. to join him as his friends for the ceremony. Um, they, this, uh, they go because they're his friends, but they're a little hesitant because they're not Vulcan and don't mm-hmm. know if they're going to be allowed to be there. But Spock says it's his right. So that's good. Uh, Spock and T'Pring... I had to put a question mark next to to pring like to pring <laughs> to pring. Is that did I get that name right to pring? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I don't know. How, I mean, it, that looks like how I would spell it too. It's kind of a they have very different names, but I think you got it right. Uh, they start talking to each other on the view screen, and uh, once again, poor nurse Chapel sees this, and he explains that to pring is his intended wife. Um, he calls it more than a betrothal, but less than a marriage at this point. Yeah. Um, so I guess betrothed is the closest term I could think of, but it's supposedly more than that. Um, yeah, there's like an emotional connection because they do like a, a semi Vulcan mind meld at a very young oh, age. 
That's right. Um, what is that called? Where they like they like uh, project themselves onto each other. They're like so, an imprinting or something. Imprint. Yeah, yeah. If one person is going through Ponfar, they can imprint on another person, and it it like activates a Ponfar within them as well. Right. Which is crazy, but. Uh, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy beam to the surface. Uh, the land is from Sp- is it belongs to Spock's family. Uh, to me, it looked like the ruins uh, from Game of Thrones, from that one place that uh, that that meeting took place. You know, the meeting toward the end of the show. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All the I, I know what you're talking about with all the big wigs. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminded people. me of that with the little less uh, CGI. Yeah, I I can see that. Uh, this is where it's established that Vulcan is much warmer than Earth, which I thought was cool because they always bring that up whenever they talk about Vulcan later on in Star mm-hmm. Trek. So it's good to get that information really early in season two. Yeah, and the air the is really series. thin, apparently. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I want that gong, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the 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 little um bell things that they hold. Oh, I those are don't, obnoxious. Yeah, I don't like those. Like that could be replaced with almost any other prop and it would be yeah. <laughs> I think they should have had like wind chimes and harps or something. Yeah. I think that would have been more something fitting. more elegant and I don't know, logical, not annoying. Yes. Yeah, sp- speaking of uh elegant, or uh, just something that could have been more elegant, that ceremonial armor or whatever it is those other Vulcans <laughs> were wearing in this scene. Yeah. I kind of want it. <laughs> but yeah. It's so ugly. Oh my god. Yeah. So I mean we always see in everything else, I've always only seen Vulcans in uh robes, like very plain. We're not flashy. We're not here trying to show off and and you know, nobody's wearing Louis Vuitton or something like that. There's no class status between how you dress. Right. So to see like them wearing this kind of armor and stuff, I get this is early Vulcans that they haven't really developed their culture much yet anyways uh but yeah it looks kind of odd to see them dressed like that to me it was more like this is the bridal party so they've got to be kind of fancied up a bit yeah um (laughs) even though spock is just wearing his starfleet outfit and kirk and mccoy are both wearing their starfleet outfits could you imagine if uh you wear whatever you wear to work to your own wedding like, that'd right. be pretty embarrassing. That's what that was going through my mind here. I wear a mechanics uniform. That's terrible. <laughs> I kind of just wear jeans and a t-shirt, so I guess I'd be nice. just like any other day. Um, Tapau. This is where we meet Tapau for the very first time. And I think it's the only time in this series we ever hear of Tapau. Mm-hmm. Um, she's apparently this super famous Vulcan that Kirk is like, "Oh, this is Tapau. We've got to impress Tapau. I want to do this for Tapau." Keeps yeah. talking about her. Um, and she's officiating Spock's wedding, which is a, apparently a pretty big deal. She, uh, do, uh, do you remember why she was well known? She, she was the only Vulcan to turn down a seat on the Federation Council, I think That's is it. what it was. Yeah, I just saw that. You actually have that in your notes too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, does it, is it in there? I don't, but yeah, so that was kind of interesting that I don't know. I, mean, I wish they kind of explained why she would turn it down, but she's someone of influence on Vulcan and was offered a seat in the Federation Council and turned it down. So I think you're going to like Star, Star Trek Enterprise a lot more than I originally thought. Because yeah. they, they they bring her back as oh, a younger good, good. version of herself in this yeah. prequel. Because the prequel series takes place, I think, 100 years before the original series. Like 60 years, somewhere in that time frame. Yeah. Uh, and then this, she, it's a pow, is pretty old. And we know that Vulcans have a long lifespan. So as a younger woman, she's kind of a, a revolutionary on her mm-hmm. planet on Vulcan. She's uh 
some see her as a terrorist, but it's like a freedom fighter type thing. Yeah. So it's it's super interesting seeing her now and then seeing her earlier in her life, but later in Star Trek as this like revolutionary character. It's, yeah. it's I love it's how crazy. they tie those threads together. Like there's yeah. stuff we've watched and it's still being aired right now. And then we see uh, little snippets of it in this. And it's like, oh, that's where they got that inspiration. Or that's why they planted that, you know, in the future episode is from this. So right. connecting all those strings is really cool. Yeah, I I can't wait for Strange New Worlds because I know <sighs> there's going to be a lot more of that because it takes yes. place like right here in the original series era. So I need oh, to man, build a small theater in my house so that I can like <laughs> just shut out all the noise, get it right. pitch dark and really get into the Star Trek episodes. <laughs> um, uh, This is where we see Spock do the, the live long and prosper hand gesture. He doesn't mm-hmm. at this point say live long and prosper, but. He holds up the hand sign. Is this the first time we see that in Star Trek? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think we've seen that. We've. Yeah, I think that's the first time. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an episode where we see him do that. Yeah, I don't think that they had ever done that or said live long and prosper before this episode. And maybe I think this at, is where it was established. Maybe at this time, uh, it's something that's only done between Vulcans and not necessarily shared with other cultures. That could you know be. Because we see in, in you know, Voyager and other stuff that, that the Vulcans we see will, you know, use that gesture towards all the other species and races and stuff. But, uh, yeah, we obviously haven't seen Spock say that to anybody else. Right. Um, Spock is about to ring the gong again, but T'Pring stops him. And this is where she says that she's, she chooses challenge and Spock yeah. has to fight for T'Pring. Which I didn't get at first because it's fighting is not a very logical thing, Mm-mm. but it makes sense because you tap into that raw emotion inside of you. And he's already he's seething like he's you see him shaking his head. His eyes are rolling back into his head like he something needs to happen here. Or he's going <laughs> to lose his goddamn mind. Yeah. Uh, so to bring cho- <laughs> to bring chooses Kirk to be her champion. Uh, another Vulcan protests but is quickly shut up. <laughs> so I may be wrong here, but from, from Voyager, I could have swore that the champion that she chooses will be her mate. If he wins, like if Kirk wins, he takes her instead of, instead of a uh, Spock. He gets the option. And that's what to says oh, at the end of the episode right, is that he knew right. Kirk wouldn't do. She knew Kirk wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Which is, she don't know Kirk if she thinks Kirk's not gonna <laughs> take her. <laughs> right. It's like one more to put on his mantle, why not? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Spock protests, but Tapau is impressed that he can even speak at this point. Like he's so whacked out of his mind. Um Spock says he will not do battle with his friend, but Kirk doesn't understand what's exactly going on. So this next monologue by Spock is is great, and I don't remember what it was. God damn it, I hate that so much. Um, uh, he, 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 he's basically talking about how he is incredible. Oh, that's right. His eyes are fire. His heart is fire. Stuff like that. He talks about how straight up Vulcan he is when mm-hmm. T'Pau asks if his human side is affecting him at all right now. Yeah, and that's right. <laughs> it's a great monologue. And this is where Frank puts it in. Are you Vulcan? Or are the human? I burn 
Tifao. My eyes are flame. My heart is flame. Thee has the power to bow in the name of my fathers. Forbid. Forbid. <laughs> Good job, Frank. <laughs> uh, McCoy tells Kirk that he doesn't stand a chance against Spock, and I'm inclined to agree, especially with the weather on Vulcan and the fact that Spock's not going to hold back. Like he's he's out of his mind. Yeah, and even in a normal circumstance, without this, you know, flaming rage inside of him, just one on one, I'm pretty sure Spock can still beat Kirk because he can. He's like four or five times the strength of a regular person. Like he's right. He's taken down four or five guys at once commonly, but you know, yeah, Kirk has good fighting skills and all that good stuff. But putting them nose to nose, I still would bet on on Spock uh, over Kirk. I, maybe maybe Kirk could you know trick him use some kind of manipulation that spock wouldn't think of because it's illogical um but you know hand to hand i'd have to give it to spock and now he's got this just rage inside of him from pond far so i think it'd be a pretty easy win for him so kirk's kind of ballsy to accept this i think the one advantage that kirk would have is that spock is uh not logical right now he's not in his right mind true he's just all emotion and you know when you're getting like really upset at something you're trying to hurry through a task and you stub your toe because you're in a hurry and it just pisses you off that much more so you punch <laughs> something and you hurt yourself I, that, yeah. I could see that happening to spock in this because he's he's not himself at the moment yeah. but yeah i agree with you completely though spock would still kick his ass 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent um kirk says that he uh th- that he might as well do this he's to fight orders to get here spock is his friend also, he wants to impress T'Pau, which I thought was a fun little thing. Like this Vulcan <laughs> elder is such a like an inspiration. It's such a, a a big character to Kirk that he's like, I've got to impress this woman. It's, yeah, it's yeah. It's, I thought it was pretty it, funny. And it'd be I wish they kind of tied a little string right there where, you know, at some point he wants to call back to her and just you know ask her advice on a diplomatic decision or something like that. That would be, be great. Yeah. Um. So here's where we see Spock versus Kirk for the possession of T'Pring is what they actually say in the episode. Yeah, which is dated, but it's the it's yeah. a it's a non-human culture, too. So we I can, know who are we it, to judge other like alien and, cultures. And to be fair, T'Pring accepts the the terms. She says, OK, you guys fight. I will be property of whoever wins. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not she's not something she's being forced into. It's. It's still kind of backwards for that to be the only representation of this at all for like <laughs> in Star Trek at the time. But yeah. the, in Star Trek, they also do try to make a big point of uh, not judging alien cultures or other cultures that you're not a part of. It's yeah. their way. Uh, the Orville has some really good episodes about this as well. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen that, though. The Orville's a very good almost Star Trek, almost more Star <laughs> Trek than the recent Star Trek shows have been. Yeah, I've seen all of the first season. I don't think I've seen any of past that. There's a uh, season two is on Hulu and season three is going to be starting in a few months. So nice. I'm excited. <laughs> anyway, let's go back to Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think this like uh, showing to is going to be property and stuff like that is another kind of kind of a good thing, though. I mean, it doesn't fit good in our culture, but the contrast where we always see Vulcans as the the superior to us, they're 
very logical and smart. They're stronger. Their society is built, you know, uh, is, has developed peace. Like they've, they don't have war within themselves as far as we can tell. But then you see the contrast like, oh yeah, but they do have this thing. They are limited. They do have a weakness. And it is every seven years they go through this ponfar. And within their culture, there's a lot of tradition, a lot of, you know, uh, things they have to do that they may not really like or understand or whatever. So it kind of humanizes them to an extent. So they aren't so superior to us in some ways. That's a really good point. And uh, Spock kind of explains this to Kirk as well, or he explains it to the audience through explaining it to Kirk Um, (laughs) saying, I think he said something along the lines of how do you think the Vulcans choose their mates? Mm-hmm. And says that it's a purely logical decision and it's done at a very young age. And that's when he talks about imprinting each other onto each other's minds and that it's there is nothing emotional about it. It's just a purely logical thing that the parents set up at when the kids are young. So uh, at this point, Kirk and Spock are both handed weapons and Kirk is then told that this fight is to the death. Which was kind of a surprise to him, but I right. <laughs> I don't know how it was a surprise to him because the Vulcans don't like half-ass anything. So mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're going to fight somebody, it's going to be to the death if it's on Vulcan. That's just how it's going to go. And maybe ask a couple questions before you get into this. You know? Yeah, that might will, be nice too. Will we have weapons? Will I have to kill my best friend? You know, <laughs> is, is dinner provided? You know, basic stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, T'Pau says the challenge was lawfully accepted and it must happen now and with no interference, which is funny because McCoy kind of interferes later, <laughs> but it's during it's in between rounds, I guess. So it's allowed. Um, we see Spock not pulling his punches here. He is just full on going after Kirk. Yeah. Shit's breaking. I think the gong breaks. Kirk's weapon breaks. This is a good fight scene. Like. The yeah. first good <clears throat> fight scene in Star Trek. We've seen a lot of bad fight scenes, so it was nice to see. It like looks like you're saying they're not pulling punches. He's actually going after him. There's not a lot of you know tumbling and ooh, I missed you. You know, he's landing his hits, so yeah, it makes it exciting. Yeah, and seeing the 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 shit around them like all breaking as it's coming into contact, and yeah, it's it's pretty good. It kind of makes that gong seem a little brittle now. If it just <laughs> took one shot for it to break, but oh, he's that strong. I guess so. Yeah, but uh, I think they I like that they kind of invested in this because a lot of times we see a fight scene that'll just be. You know, Spock and some random alien or Kirk and somebody that doesn't matter. But now we have like the two best friends, the two main characters, pretty much, or two of the three. And so this is a big deal for this kind of a fight, too. So I'm glad they invested in having, you know, props and parts of the set that are made to, you know, fall apart in the scenes. And, you know, it's not just they didn't just kind of half ass it on this one. And I think I only noticed a stunt double one time and it was very, very briefly. And it was Spock's. uh stunt double that i saw mm. i don't did you notice any stunt doubles here not at all yeah i wasn't trying to find them but yeah I so didn't. i was after about halfway <laughs> through this little scene here i was trying to spot it and i only at one point i didn't rewind it to see if it was or if it was just my misconception but uh one time i saw it was like a different color hair for the actor that was <laughs> Sp- <laughs> spock's stunt double nice uh the match seems pretty even which is very odd but i guess that could be explained by the lack of logic to Spock's fighting style here. Tapau mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, stops the battle and McCoy interferes to give Kirk something to even the odds in the heat. At least he didn't inject himself with it. 
this, this time. time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. God, don't trip and put a whole bunch of whatever this stuff is into you. Right. <laughs> so he tells Kirk that it's uh it's something that's supposed to help him breathe better in the atmosphere on Vulcan. Um, now they're given new weapons that I think are just cloth straps with like little bells or something tied to the ends of them. I'm not sure what yeah. these things are. It looks to me like a tie down strap for when you're hauling stuff with your truck. Yeah, that's what you I was know, thinking. But, but the buckle's not, like not a full buckle on the end or something. Right. And it looked like a very cheap quality, like a linen cloth rather than like a. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then Spock kills Kirk. No big deal. Um, that's just, <laughs> it's just another day, you know, on Vulcan in, in Star Trek. What, what are you going to do? <laughs> if, I were, if I were Kirk in my last moments, I would, tr- I would be looking at McCoy like WTF, your oxygen, your trioxide did nothing or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, McCoy tells Spock that he's in command now and Spock tells him to plot a course toward the near star base where he is to surrender himself to authorities for killing his friend and captain, Mr. Kirk. Um, Spock asks to Pring why she chose Kirk for the challenge. Uh, she wants, I think, Ston is what she said this other Vulcan's name is. Yeah, I think so. Um, she doesn't want to be with Spock because Spock's becoming somewhat of a legend on Vulcan, and she does not want to be with a legend. She wants to be with an ordinary. She didn't say ordinary, but, you know, she wants to be with the <laughs> Ston guy. Yeah. Spock tells Ston that to Pring is his. He warns her that there may come a time when having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a very loaded statement. Yeah, so, and I think that's like the message of the story, kind it, of. Yeah. So he's saying like, someday, you know, when you're married, you know, 20 years down the road, you might not be as happy being married as you would have been dating and pursuing and trying to get this woman. Right. Is what the it ch- sounds like. The chase is more fun than the the payoff, essentially. Yeah, and that's a that's a wild thing for Spock to say right then and there. But I, you know, <laughs> he's entitled to his opinion. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, Spock tells T'Pau to live long and prosper. Holds up the hand gesture, and she reciprocates. Um, he says he shall do neither live long nor prosper, as he just killed his captain, his friend. It's kind of a sad moment. He's trying to not show emotion but he's he's free of the prior not being able to hold his emotions in state yeah. that yeah he's, so did, he's cured did they say anything about that so he won right now to bring us his property he should be taking her into a cave somewhere and just mating like crazy but he's broken free of the pond far at this point and we understand at least i understand like it's from the the vigorous battle that he went through but they don't reference that at all right no, not really. And you'd think that this isn't the first time that a challenge has happened and that they would know this, that that cures it without having to do the other stuff that comes later. Yeah. So I that was kind of odd. They didn't yeah. like explain why he's not taking his prize or anything like that. Um, where maybe, are we? Maybe it's the emotional, you know, challenge that he has from he just killed his captain and now it became real to him. And he's like, okay, well, that, you know, breaks my focus of the pond far and I need to deal with having lost my captain and friend. I think that's kind of what it is. We see that a little bit in Voyager as well, don't we? With when Balana kind of gets somebody else's pond far, but <clears throat> she yeah. starts fighting with uh with Paris. Yeah, it was uh yeah, Vorik has the pond far and he imprints on Balana. And so now she has it too and she let's see, he wants to fight Paris to take her because they're dating. 
He wants to fight Tom. And Balana says, no, I don't need anybody to take my place. And she fights Vorik instead. And the two of them duke it out real good on some planet surface. And uh, yeah, sure enough, her, you know, nearly killing him and she gets stopped before she kills him. But uh, that was enough to break the Ponfar. So it's got to be something to do with I. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Neither Balan is no part Vulcan and uh, yeah. Spock's only half Vulcan. So I, I don't know. Makes for some makes a muck at a time. back on the enterprise (laughs) spock tells mccoy that he's resigning his commission uh mccoy tries to stop him but as he continues kirk sneaks up behind him and you see like as he's doing that chapel and mccoy have this little smile this little smirk on their face and upon seeing his friend that he thought he killed he exclaims captain jim and he's got this (laughs) huge ass grin on his face like the full on the cage style smile when he's touching that that plant in the cage and (laughs) (laughs) he quickly realizes what he's doing the smile fades and Spock downplays his happiness I I enjoyed that little bit quite a bit because we saw him with all this rage and stuff in the pond far but now this is him you know cured but he's obviously sad but uh, to see that joy that he gets from knowing his captain and best friend are still alive is pretty awesome. And that he's not a murderer. Right. Yeah. That, the, the whole not being a murderer thing is also, yeah, it's yeah, a little big. plus. So <laughs> uh, Spock explains to Kirk and McCoy that when the fight was over, he just lost his interest into Pring and his madness went away. So, yeah, there's just uh, no explanation <laughs> on that one. And I mean, they're hundreds of years old. Maybe this was his first Ponfar. I don't know. But. I don't, I don't think so. he's, I don't know, uh, but you yeah, he's think, young. He's, I think he's still in his like, uh, thirties in this. Uh, okay. So I, maybe, maybe it's cause the culture hides it. Nobody talks about it. So this could have been happening with other people for years. There's probably families that know, Hey, just get in a good fight. You know, if you don't have a mate around, you'll be all right. Right. But it's like, come on, you guys got to share your, your study with each other so that other people don't have to suffer. Yeah, you would think that that would make like having a Klingon friend pretty vital, right? Yeah, just go pick <laughs> a fight get with a somebody. Good fight. Exactly. Get but then after better. after that though, the <laughs> the Vulcan would lose interest in all things that would come after that after fighting. But the Klingon fighting is foreplay, so the Klingon <laughs> would want the other person after fighting. Anyway, uh, that's yeah. yeah. Yeah, imagine just a ship full of Vulcans who are all going through the Ponfar at once and they go find a Klingon ship to battle. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be, be great. great. <laughs> T'Pau helps clear the air with Starfleet, uh, saying that she was the one, she's the reason that uh, Enterprise is going to be late to Altair, kind of clearing that to uh, clear that up for Kirk. Or I don't know if she's thought she was clearing it up for Kirk or just for Enterprise because Vulcans should think that Jim's dead, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, they, they know nothing else they don't know what that that uh chemical was or whatever so that shot as far as they know it was trioxide to help him in the battle so yeah Yeah. and that's that's the end of the episode that was a pretty darn good episode for a season opener i thought yeah that was pretty good um Um, did you get any kind of moral or message from the story i know you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier i don't yeah i don't remember what i said earlier i don't either i was really hoping you (laughs) did oh man i should have i was thinking about writing it down too i don't want to like write and make a bunch of noise yeah, it's the writing. same thing, damn it. Uh, it was something like, uh, oh, 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 uh, following traditions is 
often illogical. Right. Like, I mean, following, doing, you know, traditional stuff to embrace your culture or the things that your you know ancestors did and stuff. That's one thing. And that's, that's nice to, you know, recognize what they did and how they did it, their sacrifices and, you know, any spiritual connections they had and stuff like that. But to do rituals and traditions just to do them and not having any understanding of their meaning or why you do what you do and don't, you know, not having a personal connection with the past um, is yeah, completely illogical, pointless. Yeah. That, that, that's really well put. Um, I didn't quite get anything as deep out of there. I just said that it's probably something to do with how love and hate are both very blinding emotions mm-hmm. and that love and hate are so closely intertwined and that you got to be careful trying to figure out, what you're feeling with those very volatile emotions or something. I don't know. <laughs> is what I put on my notes. So nice. Yeah. And I think like you have to allow yourself, uh, you know, I say all the time, at least with my wife, if it, if you don't bend, you break. So in our lives, we have a wide range of emotions. So on a regular basis, we can laugh and cry and scream in one day, but like for Vulcans, they suppress all that emotion and focus on logic. It's like that works, I guess. But at some point you need to, you know, vent, you need to let that out. And so you have to, you know, don't just try to contain the pond far because you will lobotomize yourself. You have to, you know, let it out and go through that process and feel those emotions. And then afterwards, you may be able to go back to how you were. The coolest thing about this episode, I forgot to mention it, was that Spock spends the whole time trying to suppress his emotions. And the one time he really cannot suppress his emotion is after that inability has passed and he sees that he that his friend is still alive, That's, showing that his friendship with Kirk is stronger than the Pond Far was, which yeah. I thought was a great touch for uh, building Spock as a character. And that he does a pretty good job at suppressing rage, but he can't suppress joy. Like, yeah, yeah, that, That's, that was great. Cool. Also, so, yeah. I, look, I looked up Sorry. the word amok and I, I've been saying it wrong, amok, but it's amok. Uh, but it means in a violent rage, wild or uncontrolled manner. Oh, so that makes more sense of what this is. I just don't know English. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. The the story had great pacing, or the this episode had great pacing, great storytelling, great character development, especially with Spock and learning more of the backstory of the Vulcans. Um. It was bad having women as trophies to be fought over, but as we explained, um. It was another culture, which I don't know if that's any better or not, but I've also been taught to not judge other cultures. So here we are. Yeah. The episode was good. Um, my biggest disappointment with it is that Chapel doesn't get to hear anything that happened because they mm-hmm. send her out of the room when they start talking about it. That's true. Um, but yeah, I'm going to give this Poor episode Chapel. an A minus. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it an A. Uh, the only thing I would have improved, I think, is, I mean, like you're saying, the Owning women as, as trophies, that's not great. Uh, but again, different no, it's culture. not. It's really not. <laughs> and, and it was, this was written in a different time where, you know, that kind of stuff was, had a different perspective. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's Vulcans, not humans. But uh, I would also, uh, the set was pretty good, but I think they could have done better. Um, they, they, you know, it's, it's hard for them to keep changing these sets all the time and stuff. It's expensive, but we see, I mean, obviously now we have, amazing sets but in some episodes they can put a little more in and than others but uh yeah that's the only thing i would have improved on with some of the set design yeah i i just literally would have had them kind of explain to chapel what was going on throughout the episode because 
my heart bleeds for her, man. <laughs> yeah, and she, you know, like have let her come down on the away mission and watch, and yeah. maybe she'll she'll volunteer to fight in his place or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, that would have been freaking awesome. Yeah. Like her versus her versus uh, Tapring. Oh man, that would like, be great. Like I'll fight for her spot in his Ponfar. <laughs> there you go. Crazy. Well, that's it for today. Thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard, don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms and check us out on the geekfreakspodcast.com. Join us next week for season two, episode two, uh, Who Mourns for Adonis. Until then, transporter room, two to beam up.